0: all here together on this All Saints Sunday, and if you don't know, it also happens to be the end of Daylight Savings Time, so I'd like to welcome those who are just arriving for our 1030 worship service. We're really glad to have you here with us at this time. If you're confused, just join on in. We're we're all here together in this this morning. Well, friends, it is All Saints Sunday, and for some people, you might be coming in going, what on earth is the big deal? What is All Saints Sunday all about? What does it mean? Well, let me just give you a little bit of a tip here on what All Saints Sunday means. This is the Sunday in which we celebrate all of the saints who have come before us, as well as all the saints that are around us. Everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, whether past or present, is a part of the church. Did you know that? All who have put their faith in Jesus Christ are part of the church. We kind of break that into two different categories. There's a church known as the church triumphant. The church triumphant is those who have already served their lifetime in this world serving Jesus who have gone on to their eternal reward, those who have passed away, those who have gone before us. They are a part of what we call the church triumphant because they've won. They've won, the victory is theirs now, completely and entirely. They are in the presence of Jesus right now as we speak. Praise God, what an amazing gift that is to be in the church triumphant. And then there's all of us who are here today. And those of us who are here today are a part of what we call the church militant. The church militant. Now what does that mean? If you hear the word militant sounding like military, they are from the same root word. What it simply means is this, we are the church that still has work to do in this life. We are the church that is still engaged in a spiritual battle, a holy battle, a battle in which we lay claim to the promises of God and we pray for for victory in other people's lives that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's us here today as a part of the church militant. So on All Saints Sunday, we remember all the saints. Those who have gone before us, those who are around us, the saints, the sinners, the past, the present, and on to the future. And the link that ties them all together, friends, is faith. Faith is what ties us all together. Those who have gone before us were people of faith and faithfulness. They served in their lives. They they walked a journey of faith following Jesus together in community as his church. And they took risks. And they laid their lives down and they sacrificed for the people around them and for the people who would come after them. And we are grateful for every one of them because they were people of faith. And they left a legacy of faith. But we who are on the receiving end of that, we look back upon them as those who have inherited something from the past. We have inherited a heritage of faith. That's what we've inherited. Each of us in this room has inherited faith from those who have gone before us, those who have laid the groundwork for us, who have set an example for us. We can be grateful that they brought our great grand parents and our grandparents and our, and our parents to church, to worship Jesus, to come into a life of faith that goes generation to generation to generation. Faith is the thing that links together the past, the present, and the future. And we know that because the Bible teaches us this. And there's a passage of scripture that I'd like to share with you today. It's from the book of Hebrews, And it comes from chapter 11. And it speaks about faith, and it connects us with the faith of the past. It was written to help those who read this letter early on in the life of the church to be connected with their spiritual past. And it's still here for us today to read so that we can be connected to our spiritual inheritance. And I just want to read some portions of this for you today. It's a very long chapter, so I won't read all of it, but I will highlight some things. It starts like this in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients we're commended for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So let me ask you this question. Do we look to the past as a source of our faith? Do we trust in the past as a part of our faith? No. We are grateful for it. We are grateful for the inheritance that we have received, but it's not faith to look backwards. Because we can already see the past, can't we? We already know how God has worked in the lives of those who walked this journey so many generations before us. We know it, we see it, we celebrate it, and we are grateful for it, but we don't look backwards in faith. Faith is always looking forward. Faith always looks forward out into the future because the future is unknown. And what comes next, we do not know. That is why we trust. That's why we put our faith in Jesus and his purposes in our life and his purposes for our congregation and his purposes for this world. We look forward with faith. And we look back to be reminded of the heritage of faith that has gone before us. So this whole chapter, of chapter 11, is story after story after story of heroes of the faith. People who had gone way before the people who this letter was written to. Stories after story after story that were shared about people who walked in faith in God. And I want to point out just one of these stories. I would encourage you to encourage yourself by going back and reading all of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews at some time, but I just want to point out a particular story, a particular character who shows up pretty predominantly in this passage. It begins at verse 8. It says this, By faith, Abraham was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. Obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Let me jump forward to verse 17 where it says this, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. The story of Abraham, a powerful, powerful narrative. And if you don't know where that's located, you can go back into the book of Genesis, a rich, rich story of this person who was willing to leave everything behind and move forward into the place that God called him to go. He was forward-looking. By faith, he looked forward to the promises that God had offered to him. But here's the thing. Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of those promises. He didn't see the fulfillment of the followers of God, the, the lineage that he would leave being as numerous as the stars in the sky or as the sand on the shores. He didn't see it. And Scripture tells us that he didn't see it. And this is what it says at the end of chapter 11 as it moves into chapter 12. And I want you to listen carefully to what the author here is telling to us. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the fr- throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why is this so important? The past, the present, and the future, all about faith, but it ties us together into something. See, friends, I can imagine, and you certainly can too, that three, four, five generations ago, our great, 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 great grandparents had no idea you would be here today, sitting in this space. They didn't know what it would look like. They didn't know your names. They didn't know what your careers would be. They had no idea how many children you would have. They had no idea. Yet they walked forward in faith. And I caught a glimpse of what that looks like about 10 years ago. Let me tell you a story. You all know that I'm a Minnesota Gopher football fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) 8-0, baby. But about 9 years ago, they built a new facility a number of new facilities down on the campus of the University of Minnesota. And I was on a journey to one of the first games that I was able to attend there. And as my wife and I went onto the campus, the first thing we noticed was this thing called the Alumni Center, a beautiful facility, the University of Minnesota Alumni Center. And we went inside of this Alumni Center, and inside was this giant arch that was leaning up and leading into a place called the Heritage gallery, and that arch that you're seeing right above there, that arch is from the original Memorial Stadium that was built on the campus of the University of Minnesota. Some of you may have seen a game played there at some point. And then if you go into the Heritage Gallery, there's, there's a whole bunch of different images of, of the past. Some were related to sports, others were related to great things that had occurred on the campus. But as you come back around to the outside, you come to this hallway. And on this hallway is a list of names. Hundreds and hundreds of names. They are the names of people who contributed significant amounts of money to build the Alumni Center, but not just the Alumni Center. Because as you go outside from the Alumni Center, you look across the parking lot and there it is. The stadium. And after we were done walking through the Alumni Center and seeing this rich heritage of the past, we walked across the street to go in to see our first game in the new stadium. And the new stadium was nothing like the Alumni Center. (laughs) Nothing at all like the Alumni Center. You went inside and these young athletes of 18, 19, 20, 21 years old were out on the field stretching and working out and preparing for the game. And the music was thumping through this gigantic scoreboard. And people were cheering and getting ready for the game and walking around, and down at the end of the stadium, there's a, a spot that is reserved for the students. The student section right there on the end. And they're down, there wearing their maroon and gold, and, and they're cheering, and they're excited. And then we watched the kickoff and the beginning of the first half, and we got to halftime, and at halftime, they did something that I will never forget. And they did it every game throughout that first season. They brought out a group of people. They were some of the largest contributors towards making this stadium happen. People who had given millions of dollars to see to it that this stadium would be constructed. And they brought them out and they introduced them by name and they would stand in the end zone looking up at the student section. And when they were introduced, the students would stand up and cheer. And that's where it hit me. Why is it that a school understands what it is to leave a legacy better than so many churches do? We are called as God's people to honor the heritage that has come before us. To rejoice in the sacrifices and be so grateful for those who have gone before us. It is what we are commanded to do. We are to remember them. We are to share their stories just like they do in Hebrews. And then we're to connect it to our present. And we are then to leave a legacy of faith for the next generation. Friends, those donors who stood in the end zone having given millions of dollars will never play a down of football in that stadium. The music that is played in that stadium is not from any of their past, and it won't be played on their radio when they drive home. But they saw the need to leave a legacy. And as they stood in the end zone looking up at those 20-year-old students cheering for them, there's the great cloud of witnesses, friends. A connection between the past and the present and the future. Because that wall in the alumni hall that's filled with all of those names are names that will be engraved there as a remembrance of those who made the sacrifices beforehand so that that stadium could be built. And that wall stands as a testament to their sacrifice and gratitude to be offered back to them for what it is that they did and the heritage that we inherit from them. And they are part of the great cloud of witnesses. Friends, on All Saints Day, we come to this place together remembering and acknowledging what has gone before us. Thankful and grateful for the saints who have gone ahead of us. And do you know that they are present with us here today? At the end of the service, we're going to gather together around this rail. And Pastor Angie shared something with me the other day that I had never heard before. And I want to give credit where credit is due because this is the story that she shared and I'm going to share it now. And the way it works is the first time you share that story, you acknowledge the person who you got the story from. The second time you say, I heard it once said. And then the third time you say, I've always said. So Pastor Angie was telling me the story of this rail and the rails that are like it that were built in Swedish churches and churches all around the world. And as you see, this is a half circle that is here. And when we come up to commune, we will kneel at this half circle. But do you know that it's meant to represent a full circle? A circle that goes beyond these walls out into the past a circle that goes out to the church triumphant. Because in old Swedish churches, you know what would be on that side of the chancel? The graveyard. And when we come to this place, when we kneel at this place, we kneel together with those saints who are at the table of our Lord in his presence today, celebrating the victory of Jesus celebrating the feast of the Lamb, they share that with us as we on this side of eternity receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing image? That means that those dear saints who you know, they share this moment with us right in this place. And it's critical that we remember that. And it's critical that we are willing to be like every parent hopes to be, which is knowing that we're gonna make sacrifices for our children. We're gonna lay down things for our children that will never ever come back to us in this life. But we lay it down willingly because that's what life is about when things are alive and vital. And I wanna share one more story with you today. It's a story written by a gentleman by the name of Don Linscott, and he was executive vice president from something called the Genesis Group. And he wrote this story, and I want you just to listen along as I read this story, because the title of it is this, Why I Will Always Belong to a Church That Needs Money. On July 23rd, 1970, my wife, Connie, gave birth to a beautiful baby boy For three years, we had tried unsuccessfully to start a family, so our joy was great with the arrival of what was to be our only biological child. We later adopted a daughter. Lance was born before it became acceptable for the father to be present in the delivery room, a fact for which I have forever been grateful. I waited in the hallway just outside the delivery room. At precisely 4.13 p.m., I heard a sound I will never forget, Lance's first cry. The nurse emerged with a smile and said, you have a baby boy. I casually responded, yes, I know. I had never doubted that we would have a son. I could hardly wait to get Connie and Lance out of the hospital and get them back home so I could get my hands on them. The wonderful glow of fatherhood was soon dimmed, however, when I was asked to visit the business office of the hospital. They wanted me to pay for Lance. In fact, it seemed to me that my wife and child might be held hostage until the hospital bill was settled. I wrote the check, paying all the expenses in full, freed my family, and we made our escape. That check turned out to be only the first of hundreds, maybe thousands, I would write on Lance's behalf. (laughs) Children are expensive. There was formula and food to buy. Doctor visits and vaccinations assaulted my banking account. Diapers and toys took their toll, and clothes were a constant drain. Just about the time we built a great wardrobe for the kid, he would grow, forcing us to start all over again. As his age and size increased, so did the expenses. Soon it was basketball glove, uh, basketball. (laughs) It was baseball gloves, thank you. Nike shoes and uniforms. There were glasses for his eyes and braces for his teeth. And then disaster struck, Lance became a teenager. (laughs) Now it was cars and dates and brand name clothes. Then came college. Lance had always and only wanted to be an architect. It seemed to me that he would be in school until he was 42 years old. Expenses soared. Tuition, books, and drawing tools led the long list of essential expenditures. But of course, just like parents everywhere, we were happy to be able to help him, and we did all we could to support his growth and his dreams. And then one day, Lance died. On Halloween Day, 1991, we buried 21-year-old Lance in our church's country cemetery. That afternoon, we walked away from his grave. And since that day, we have never spent another nickel on Lance. That's how I learned it. Death is cheap. Death can be sustained without expense. It is living that is costly. It is growth that is expensive. Our dreams, visions, and hopes require sacrifice. Death doesn't. That's why I will always belong to a church that needs money, a living, growing, thriving church will always require the continual, consistent, and conscientious financial support of its members. Friends, the reality of it is many, many churches in the United States are dying. And many of the dear people who have been a part of those churches for decades and decades unfortunately, would rather die than change. Would rather be content with what they have and be happy to say, I get to go to heaven and I'm thankful for what's been given to me. But they aren't looking forward to a future of life. Friends, we are so blessed here at Community of Grace. I cannot tell you how much joy it brings me to see a bunch of children come up here to hear the children's message. How much joy it brings me to see moms and dads with their carriers bringing their kids into church on Sunday morning. How much joy it brings me to hear babies squawking in the middle of a service. Because that means we're alive and there's a future. And we have a duty to leave a legacy of faith. Of all the things I desire to leave for my children, and there will be plenty of stuff that they'll have to sort through, but the one thing that I hope I leave for my children is a legacy of faith that is lived out in a community called the church. And I don't know what that church is gonna look like, but I know it's gonna take sacrifice for it to come to be because it always does. You and I are standing amidst the great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, who are encouraging us on today saying, keep going, make the sacrifice, leave a legacy of faith for the next generation. And there is also a next generation that is here among us right now. And some who are meant to be among us but aren't here yet because they're waiting to see if the church is serious about leaving a legacy of faith for them. And they're waiting too. And they're watching to see the example that we leave. May we be amongst those who have inherited a rich heritage that we honor, are grateful for, and never forget. And may we be amongst those who leave a legacy of faith so that the word and ministry of Jesus is not forgotten in the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us together into this family. And we are so grateful, Lord, for the family that is here, but also for the family that has gone before us, for the deep roots that have brought up good fruit in those sitting here today and in those who have sat in these pews and in other pews and other church buildings but have never ceased to be your church, your body. I am grateful today, Lord, for those who have gone before, for those who are here present with us now, and for those who are yet to come, faces and names of people who we may never know in this life, but who someday, Lord, when you return, to bring us all home. We will see them, Lord. We will join with them at your table. We will celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb. We, the bride of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that as we look forward to that, we trust in you. We trust in you to work through us, Lord and to work in us so that you can do whatever it is you want to do through us. All to your glory, Jesus, we lay it down today. All for your glory and not for our own. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And together, all the saints said, amen. As Pastor Darren said, we come together.